Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Claire C. Marshall. Mm-hmm, we do. And I hear it was a great interview. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it no. was. We had a really good interview. Yeah, good. Sarah had to do it by herself because uh, my grandson got sick and I had to take him to the doctor because his mom had to work. And so I couldn't be there. And I'm really bummed because I heard it was great. Yeah, but it was good. We missed you. But oh, um, thanks. But it, there's, um, we talked about selling in person, mm. and um, Claire does a whole bunch of um, like festivals, craft shows, things where maybe you wouldn't normally sell books. Mm-hmm. But um, she does a lot of in person in person selling, oh. and so we talked about like uh, what all is involved with that, how to set up a booth so that mm-hmm. it looks attractive, mm-hmm. um, kind of applying to get into these things, and then she had a lot of really good tips on interacting with people one on one. Oh, and that's just great. like how to approach people and draw mm-hmm. them in. And it was just very interesting because, yeah. you know, I don't, I'm not a big one-on-one yeah. selling person, you know, uh-huh. but uh-huh. as you do, if you are a writer, you're going to have opportunities yeah. to meet people one-on-one and sell your book and pitch mm-hmm. your book. And it, I think it'd be really helpful. Right. Right. Well, I'm bummed that I wasn't on the call because <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be doing this next year um, at a signing and stuff, uh, maybe a couple of signings, and but I'll be listening and I'm going to yeah. look. She, she's sending pictures too, right? Uh, yes, that were, of her booth. and Yeah, she had some great ideas on how to set up her booth and mm-hmm. I asked her if she could send us some pictures. So there'll oh, be some great. of the show notes. Yeah. And yeah. if I'm on it, I'll try and post them in the group. I mean, oh, great. Totally yeah. space out, but I'll try and put them in the group as okay. well. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> so what's been going on with you uh so this week I've actually gotten a lot of writing done so last week I was all down I was like I didn't get much writing done but this week I'm feeling better and I'm making progress and so that's going well and um I don't know things have just settled down a little bit all the the world is still crazy but I am getting Mm -hmm. some work done but on that note we've had Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of people reply about Mm -hmm. the post that we had about helping out Ukrainians Mm -hmm. and I wanted to mention one group it's in the link in the document with all the stuff Mm -hmm. and it it's um knitting for Ukraine and I I love it (laughs) cool thing love it I think it's just hats and mittens. I think it's mm-hmm. all in the mm-hmm. colors of the Ukrainian flag. And then they're yeah. sending refugees. So yeah. people are just doing all kinds of stuff. And yeah, it's very, they are. very encouraging. Yeah. Um, so that's going on. And then I found a very good podcast. I don't know if you'll be interested in it, but mm-hmm. if anybody likes Jane Austen, mm. it is a podcast and it's dedicated to, it's called The Thing About Austen. And they take mm. one item for each podcast. So mm-hmm. it might be like, Mr. Darcy's portrait mm-hmm. or the um, Marianne's dead leaves. And mm-hmm. they just talk about that and what it means in the story. And I mean, it's just very interesting. And mm-hmm. I'm such a history. I geek. love it. And yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like the one about Marianne, de- Marianne's dead leaves was so funny. And that's like one of the favorite lines for me from Austin is like, she's mm-hmm. going on about these wonderful dead leaves. And I'm like, that is just <laughs> hilarious. 
Because, <laughs> so you know, that's so her. Yeah. But, so anyway, you can find that on, you know, any podcast app and they have lots. I've been binging the whole, uh, yeah. the whole back list. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the other thing about it is if you go to their Instagram, their mm-hmm. branding is so good. It's mm-hmm. just so good. So yeah. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Right. Right. Yeah. We could probably learn some lessons yeah. from them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, not much. <laughs> I had given myself a few days to, you know, jet lag and all of that to get back. Plus the time change that has, yes. the, the combo has kind of kicked my butt. Like at eight o'clock at night, I am ready to go to bed. I make myself stay up till nine. But and then I'm sleeping until you know six or seven, so I'm getting a lot of sleep. But um, anyway, uh, then my grandson got sick, and I had to keep him a couple of days, and so we haven't done much around here. But while I was gone, I did realize there was a there was a uh, conflict issue with my book. Like they're just, I just mm. like motivation and conflict just wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be. And so I've been thinking about that while I was gone. And then yesterday I got like, I, I, I think I fixed it in, you know, oh, in my so head, good. I just have to yeah. put it on paper. So um, probably, I mean, I'm, I wrote a little bit today, um, but th- today's Friday, but um, I'm going to jump back in and get, get yeah. going. Um, but like I said, I've had him and he's wonderful and lovely and, but he's two and I'm old and it's, yeah. it's a lot of it's work. exhausting. Yeah. But I did watch the Adam project. Have y'all seen that? I mean, it's on Netflix. It. It's really great. Really great. Okay. I know a lot of people have seen it, but I don't know. There was just something about it that I just really loved. And so that was, that was fun, I but I haven't really done much else I've been, okay. I've done Thank some you. of my Italian cooking when I've oh, nice. home, some of the recipes that I learned however um my dough isn't really coming out <laughs> well it was the dough last night two nights ago it was the sauce wasn't it wasn't exactly right so but I think I know what I did and so I'm going to try again next week and um, so that's that is interesting because like when we went to Italy, when we came back, we tried to make pizza uh-huh. and it was just flat, not yeah, really yeah. as good. Well, and no, I because the ingredients us, aren't as good. Yes. yes. I had people tell us it's the ingredients are not mm-hmm. the same as what mm-hmm. you can get there. And I, I knew people that would go there, buy flour and bring mm-hmm. it back so they could mm-hmm. have the correct flour. Yeah. Yeah. So I know yeah. it's true. And yesterday I went to the grocery store. I, my husband does the grocery shopping, but I went because I was making this thing. And as I'm walking down the aisles, like I'm overwhelmed because, you know, in, in Europe and in Italy, the parts of Italy, we were in particularly, there's just, you know, that's one thing I was really overwhelmed with at when I was there is just how um, excessive parts of our lives are here in the States and food's one of those things. Yeah. Because while, while everywhere in Italy, like you can get food. And when you sit down to have a drink, they bring you a snack. You don't even have to ask for it. It's just, it's, it's just kind of, place, it's almost it? like chips and hot sauce, but it's just a snack and it can be anything, but everything there is it's 
it's almost bite size. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just enough. It's not excessive. It's not. And I was overwhelmed at the grocery store yesterday. Like there's too much stuff. I just need a few things. And uh, so I, I really hope I can kind of continue to kind of incorporate that lack of excess in, yeah. uh, in my it's thinking. It's like a culture shock. It, it is. It back, is. Yeah, and I really bit. love that uh, when mm-hmm. I was there. You know, I, for those of you who've traveled to Europe before, I'm sure you're like, whatever, Jamie. But I mean, I'm 58 <laughs> and I just traveled to Europe for the first time. So I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I just I really did love that part of of their yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. So. Anyway, but yeah, and everything's so, so that's, fresh. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so going back to the thinking about your plot and mulling things over, yes, yes, I think yes. that's that's work and that takes yeah. time. And I've been doing the same thing. And I was like, this week I'm getting near the end of the book and it's not, I don't have a plot hole. Mm-hmm. I just had like too many things happening all at once, too many mm-hmm. reveals like coming mm-hmm. together at the end. And I was yep. like, I have a plot kink like or something I don't know yeah, it's like yeah, everything's yeah. there but it's too much I've got to spread it out right so I've been doing that this week and I think that sometimes you have to think about it to right. figure it out and then right. write it right so, well so you're I was I was laying uh, laying down I say laying down that's not correct I think it's lying down but you know I'm from Texas and I'm a hick um and I was in the bed but I was just napping and but I wasn't really, I, and my husband kind of poked his head in the room and, and I was like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm working, I'm working. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about like, yeah, I wish I had that job, but it is true. I think I remember Harlan Coben uh, saying that one time, uh, you know, he's a great thriller writer and he says, you know, my wife, she, the part of my job she hates is when I nap horizontally. I mean, when I work horizontally, because <laughs> it looks like I'm napping, but I'm really thinking and I'm like, but yeah. you're working hard. Yeah, exactly. So That's anyway, right. yeah, but we should probably get on with the interview and uh, I hope everybody's doing well and we'll, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll yeah and if you have any other like um, ways to help out with Ukraine, let us yeah. know. Let us and know. Yeah. We will be happy to add them oh. to the list. Oh, that does remind me. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm kind of scattered. But uh, Sky Warren put together an anthology. It's number one in the Kindle store today. It's called Nightingale. So if you like romance, you might go check that out. Um, Even if you don't like romance, you might check that out uh, because all the proceeds are going to Ukrainian relief. So perfect. Okay. Yeah. Put a link. All right. Great. All right. Well, here is Claire. Yes. Hello. We have. Claire C. Marshall with us today. Hi, Claire. How are you? Hi, how are you? We're good. We're so glad to talk to you today. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Well, let me read your bio and we'll jump right into the questions. Claire C. Marshall grew up in rural Nova Scotia with very little television and dial-up internet, and yet she turned out okay. <laughs> she is the founder and author publisher behind Very Ink Press, where she publishes young adult science fiction, fantasy, and horror novels. When she's not writing or or fiddling up a storm, she enjoys computer games and making silly noises at her two cats, Pinecone and Pavlova. She lives in Calgary with her husband. Sure do. <laughs> so, so much to dig into there. We definitely need to talk about uh, science fiction and horror while we're chatting because we've had people in our Facebook group say they want to talk to more horror authors. So oh boy. <laughs> maybe we'll throw in a question about that if we have time. Sure. Okay. So tell us, how did you get into writing? 
Well, I have always been a writer ever since I was little. I was the little girl in the corner, like writing on loose leaf, pages and pages and pages of stories. I was really supported and encouraged by my parents and my classmates and my teachers. And I just always assumed that, you know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a writer. Um, I wrote you know, like 120,000 word novels when I was a teen. Wow. Again, like not having a lot of television, only having, you know, the bare minimum of internet, I think also kind of helped because I would just go home from school and I would write, you know, pages after school and do my homework. And it just became part of the routine. And through this, I also learned about querying and publishers. And so I was already like querying when I was like 15 years old, being like, I wrote this like long novel. And of course, publishers (laughs) were like, oh, you know, that's interesting, but mm, polite rejection (laughs) and warranted, you know, you know, of course, like uh, my writing was not up to snuff to be published at all. But uh, then I went to school for journalism and Mm -hmm. then I went, uh, into a publishing course and started doing freelance uh, work in and around publishing. And I I did this for the express reason of like, I'm going to have my own publishing brand. I'm going to publish my own books and because I, I wanted to do it in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And uh, 10, 10 years later, it's 2011 years, 11 years later, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So so you pretty much knew from the beginning that you wanted to be in control and you wanted to be indie, basically. Yes. Yeah. And that was like back in just in like 2009, 2008 was when I first started looking into indie publishing. And that was kind of when like it was like not really taboo, but that's when people were starting to talk more openly about it. And like, here's how I did it. And, and Amazon Kindle only just came out in what, like 2009, 2010. So it was just sort of that, that beginning stages. And yeah, I, I scoured the internet for any information that I could find about publishing. Mm -hmm. And I was in the middle of my journalism program at the time. And I was like, I'm not going to be a journalist. (laughs) 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 And, and, And a lot of different things happened at that time where, uh, you know, in 2008, the, the market crash and, and the recession, all that. And it seemed like the, there was a narrative shift in what our professors were telling us at university mm. because I had all I had assumed that I would go to university and get some kind of job, and I was told that you know with a journalism degree at least I would have. Uh, like almost a trade and a set of skills that I could use, you know, I could go be a journalist or work in Mm -hmm. some kind of journalism publishing, or I could be in marketing or communication or whatever. Um, But the narrative seemed to switch and be like, there are no jobs for you. (laughs) (laughs) You're on your own. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's when I was like, oh no. And I got very interested in like, oh, maybe I could start a business or uh, maybe I should look more deeply into what I actually like to do, which is write fiction. 
and, uh, and try and publish that. So I actually almost like, I was very seriously considering dropping out of university Mm -hmm. to start a publishing company, which my parents were like, "Mm, maybe, maybe don't quite do that. (laughs) Maybe finish your school. And so I found this publishing program at Humber college, um, which required a degree and so I was like, okay, I'm going to finish my journalism degree and then I'm going to go into this publishing program and then I'm going to start my own like publishing brand. Yeah. And yeah, once I kind of set my mind to something, like I get very determined yeah. to do it. So, <laughs> well, that was good timing, a good time to branch out into self-publishing. So that was excellent. Yeah. 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 And I, I also freelance as well. So it's kind of, I do 50, 50, like, um, publishing my own books and pre pandemic, I was traveling around with them to different shows and stuff. And then I was also sort of helping other authors and creative people with all aspects of their publishing, because in doing this, I've picked up a lot of skills. So I'm self-taught at, a lot of like the technical side, uh, mm-hmm. even like website design and and now like podcast editing, like all of that stuff, plus like laying out books, anything that's like about publishing and in and around publishing. It's like, I have all those skills. So why not also capitalize on that yeah. as well? So yeah. yes, it's good to really, be versatile. Yeah. Very, very smart. So thank you. Well, what is your definition of success? That is something that has changed um, for me over the years. I would say at the beginning, it was publish a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it was like, you know, be recognized in some way, like have somebody tell you that, you know, they they love your books. Um, and, you know, over the years, it was more like, oh, make this much money at a show or meet these sales goals. Mm-hmm. I I think now, you know, in the sort of coming out of the pandemic, knock on wood, uh, mm-hmm. era, I, I feel like my focus has turned more inward. Um, at the end of 2019, I was very, very burnt out. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I've spent these last two years trying some different things and around my publishing and sort of still doing my freelance work while I'm kind of waiting for these shows to come back. And my definition of success for the pandemic was come back to being in love with writing again, because I was very just when you are doing, I, I was doing, I don't know, 13, 15 shows a year, which by the way, not is not a lot compared to some of my artist friends who do like 30 to 40 shows a year. Um, but they're not selling books. They're selling like art prints, which is a bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, they would travel like a lot, a lot. It's a little more difficult when you have heavy books to travel very far, but, um, just, I, I got very, a lot of different things happened leading up to the end of 19, where I was just very burnt out. And I was just like, who am I? Like, why am I doing this? And it becomes very easy to forget, like, just who you are and why you're doing it. When when you end up feeling a bit like a sales robot, <laughs> when when you're in that season of like, I'm only selling books, I'm here to sell. And 
it it's 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 a very strange feeling to kind of dissociate a little bit from mm-hmm. from your body and you kind of feel beholden to this 10 by 10 space that you're <laughs> in and you're like I have to sell these books and I'm here to do that and I'm very good at it and it's happening but inside you just like you start to feel so hollow. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I feel, but I feel like these last few years have, it, it forced me to stop, um, you know, doing kind this very aggressive yeah. sales. And, and now I feel like I've fallen back in love with my craft. I'm ready to focus on that and try and find um, maybe a more sustainable way of doing the show so that it doesn't ruin my body and my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think I that. Think- that's what it was happening to me. Yeah. I think a lot of us are at that point. Like I think 2020, 2021 kind of pushed us to the point where we're like, okay, it makes you think through everything and yeah. why am I doing this? And do I want to keep doing it? So yeah, very true. And we're going to come back to selling in person. We have a lot of questions about that. So <laughs> but first, um, what do you wish you'd known about writing your craft? I wish that I had known more about outlining. When I, when I started, I, I'm very much a writer who like, I will see the scenes in my mind and then I'll mm-hmm. kind of write them down and I will write out of order. Mm-hmm. Often I'll do like middle end beginning and then kind of stitch it all together. But over the last couple of years, I've really come to appreciate an aggressive outline <laughs> Because yeah, like it, it was just becoming too stressful to try and like create a book. I mean, I still write out of order with the outline, but at least with the outline, I can go to a specific part and a specific scene. And I know this is going to be happening in this scene. And if I need to change something, I can do that very quickly in an outline and then reflect that in the actual text. But yeah, I wish I wish I had gotten more into outlining earlier, I feel like I would have saved myself a lot of stress. Yeah. Well, so did you, how long did it take you to figure out how to outline? And do you outline the same way now as when you first started outlining? Um, I feel like I'm more aggressive with my outlines now. Um, I feel like my outlining journey now, I don't know what year this would have been, but I bought the book Take Off Your Pants by uh-huh. Libby. Yeah. Yeah. Libby Hawker. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And reading that, I was just like, okay, like this is really speaking to me. Like this is, I, I get it. I get it now. So mm-hmm. I feel like with every book, I've leaned a little bit harder on her method of outlining and just feeling my own uh, outlining process out. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll be a little bit more aggressive each time with each book, but I will still kind of fall a little bit back on my pants or raise because I just get so excited and I'm just like I'm gonna write this scene now I'm gonna <laughs> write what I what I feel right. I'll I'll still do that but then I'll just have to go back to the outline and be like okay but like we have to probably take this out or edit it down mm-hmm. or rewrite it yeah. in a different way so yeah yeah that is interesting very interesting. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people come to outlining later, like they start pantsing. So how different is your finished product from your outline? Um, That's a good question. I think that it's it's getting closer and closer 
to the outline with every project that I do. Um, I feel like with my, I, I have this uh, fantasy serial podcast, Wing Torn, which I'm basically making an audiobook like chapter by chapter and releasing it as a podcast. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what it is. Um, and that I very aggressively outlined because, um, you know, I get to the point where I'm kind of writing this scene by scene and releasing it. So I have to know like what is happening where you're going. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. So that is usually quite close to the outline, but if I make a change, I have to remember that (laughs) and make sure that that's in the outline. So, so yeah, that, that I'm pretty strict with, with my books. I mean, it's a little bit looser. Um, I think certain things still come up in the text when I'm just freely writing where I'm just like, Oh, you know what? That actually does make a lot of sense. And so then I just have to make sure I sit with that and go back to the outline and make sure that that's all, that's all good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're brave to a podcast as you're going along. That's I'm, I'm too much of a chicken to do that. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. It's it's a whole process. (laughs) I imagine. Yeah. Well, what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about marketing? Oh boy. (laughs) So, so, so many things. Um, (laughs) I think like at the very base level, um, I had this assumption that just because I made something, me, Claire, that people would automatically like it, buy it. I think that just comes from having, you know, very supportive upbringing. You know, everything is, is you know, you made it that congratulations, you did it. Yay. <laughs> Yay. But in the, but in the real world, like nobody cares. And, right, yeah. and something that I've had to learn is like, it's up to me to make people care. No one is going to advocate for me like me. No mm-hmm. one is going to sell my books like I'm going to sell my books. And that that's that's up to me to make make the person not apathetic because people are generally yeah. pretty apathetic about things. And it's so it's up to me to present things in a way that makes it easy for people to understand easy for people to care about my work and easy for people to decide, yes, this is for me. No, this is not for me. Yeah. So basically boiling it down to simple choices, would you say for people or? Yeah. And just making it like, like, I guess I could equate this. We're going to talk about this soon. uh, Selling in person, like you have to, you learn very quickly how people react to your display and and you have to notice those reactions so that next time you can maybe iterate the display in a way that is is easy. So so for example, like people will come into my booth and I have a very colorful, very bold display and I sell, you know, YA mm-hmm. sci-fi fantasy and so people will come in here and if if they're not really familiar with books, which often I'm telling people who, you know, aren't, uh, the color purple is very prominent in my branding. So a lot of the older generation will be like, oh, purple, purple equals girls, purple oh. equals for girls. So I have to, and, and, and 
this, you, you kind of have to be like, you have to be not afraid to challenge people a little bit on their assumptions too, is like the other side of this. Cause I'll, I will be like, well, you know, uh, girls and boys and people of any gender can read my books. And, <laughs> and the, the, the line, the line that I used to use on people was, uh, uh, well, you know, girls, read Harry Potter and Harry Potter has a boy protagonist. So therefore, <laughs> you know, boys can That's read so. my books with girl protagonists. Right. And it's not limited. Yeah. 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 And that kind yeah. of makes them go like, Oh, okay. Yeah. But just, just different, different people. You learn what people will react to. And you also learn how to deal with their reactions in a kind of quietly graceful way so that you can pivot the conversation to, you know, a sales conversation or gracefully allow them to exit your booth. <laughs> yeah. That's very, I think that's a skill that you have to, I mean, that is a, some people have that naturally, but I think that that is something that if you can learn to do that, it's a great thing. I have a hard time with per, sales in person. So you, it's definitely something you learn with practice because I like, I consider myself to be an introvert. Um, but I feel like different circumstances in my life have forced me to be, you know, on stage. Like I was a musician growing up, so I would perform. So I learned this is how you be on stage. I worked in, uh, <laughs> for a musical tour uh, <laughs> when I was in university. So was, even though like the thought of doing it filled me with dread, like standing up and singing in front of people, even though I'm not really a singer, um, you know, you just, you do it and you learn and then your brain kind of learns, okay, well that, that wasn't so bad. Or if it does go terribly bad, you know, there's another tour coming around in 30 minutes. So you're just going to have to do better next time because <laughs> that's just what you have to do. And yeah. so with every experience you learn and you get better. Yeah. Do you, you mentioned the word performance. Do you feel that selling in person is a bit of a performance? Do you have to like get in that mindset to do it? Absolutely. Good question. Yes. Um, so every like, I, the days are long generally when I'm, when I'm selling, especially at higher end craft sales, it's like 9am to 9pm or yeah. whatever. And so I, I do have like on the train or however I'm getting there, I have to, you know, get into a mindset of like, this is what you're here to do today. It's, I don't, necessarily talk to myself about sales goals because then you can descend into a like desperation and like people, a spiral and you just go down. Yeah. Yeah. And people can sense desperation on you and you do not want to seem desperate for sales ever. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's mostly, I have to focus on what is making me happy right now. Uh, focusing on all of the good things that have happened to me recently or at the show, what's going well, try not to think about all of these other bad things because it does get very easy when you step onto the floor and you look at everybody else's booths, especially at, again, these higher end craft sales that I was doing, like 
these booths, they look like, like Etsy has been <laughs> like a chic, <laughs> it's, it's, it's chic. It's everything is just very together about them. And you're just like, well, here I am with my books and oh God, <laughs> like I hope somebody buys them. But, but again, like you can't let yourself go into that. Like I I'm there, like you said, to perform, I am on all mm-hmm. like the whole time that I am there. And fortunately with, with these shows, you don't have a lot of uh, downtime, uh, mm-hmm. especially the busy craft. So there's always somebody coming in and I'm always engaging people to come into yeah. my booth. Yeah. So there's, there's no, there becomes no time to think about, you know, the, what if that can spiral you down and I do find more often than not, people are very polite and friendly, and that helps keep me in a good mood. And mm-hmm. when I'm in a good mood, then I can sell. <laughs> that is very interesting. Yeah. So we will come back to this again, but let's, uh, we'll finish the questions kind of about the writing, and then we'll come back to the craft because I, I have a lot of things. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> bobbing around in my mind now. So, so what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career and looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? What assumptions? Well, definitely that I would be famous, (laughs) (laughs) like famous, like right away from the first book. (laughs) That optimistic outlook that we all have. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think there is kind of this narrative of like, first time authors who make it really, really big. And you really hope that that will be you. Yeah, Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but really that's like hoping you'll win the lottery. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's definitely an assumption that I have, I think an ongoing assumption that I have to remind myself that is, you know, just not always the case is I always think that I'm going to be braver <laughs> than I am or more like on the ball than I actually am. Cause I, I tend to over, uh, I tend to write down a lot of goals for mm. the year. And it's just, I end up writing down too many yeah. projects or things. Cause we all have bad days and especially during a pandemic, like it's, it can, it's been pretty rough and, So your mental health is not always going to be peak performance every single day that you can achieve every single task. So that's something that I still deal with, you know, the assumption that I can do everything every day, all of the time (laughs) (laughs) when, when really like just writing a book is an accomplishment. And I think that's very easy for us to forget. Yes. Yes. It becomes normal. We normalize it after a while. And then Absolutely. if they're a little bit harder to write, some of them are harder than others. And you're like, why is this so hard? But just writing any book is difficult. So yeah, yeah totally get yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we also like to talk about mistakes and lessons learned. So do you have either like a mistake that turned out to be a good thing, or do you have um, something that you thought was just amazing and then it turned out to be not so great. So do you have anything in either of those categories? <laughs> yeah. So um, I do have a mistake that I made that I ended up salvaging and so that it wasn't Ooh. terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so 
when I think it was 2016, maybe 2017, um, 2016 is when I got serious about selling at shows and conventions. And I was like, I'm going to book a show in Ottawa, which uh, for the non-Canadian listener is our capital. <laughs> and I had never been to Ottawa before, but I decided to do an Ottawa show because Ottawa is pretty affluent. And I also have family there. So I was like, well, I can go stay there and I can check out this show and do it. And I'm, I'm so great. Like I'm going to do so great here. And I got very excited. And, but I also decided I'm going to ship books to the show in advance because, you know, that's what all like the bigger vendors do. And I'm not going to take all this like on a plane with me. So I thought um, I looked on the website and I was like, I think this is the right address to send books to. And I even called. And but the question that I asked them was, is the address on the website the right address to send books to? And the person on the other end was like, yep, but no follow-up questions were asked. (laughs) So I I sent multiple boxes to this address. And at the time I was doing a show the previous weekend. So I took like a box or two with me in my suitcase and did a show in Regina and then flew to Ottawa. And I spent the week there with my family, uh, getting to know my cousins that I hadn't really met before. And it was having, having a nice time. And then I show up on the Friday and we're setting up and I had, you know, I had like a box or whatever with me and Mm -hmm. most, I had most of a display with me and I went, I'm checking my phone. I'm, I'm checking, be like, Hmm, where are the rest of my books? And I look on the tracking number for the shipment and it said, um, return to sender because like, (laughs) yeah, because it was turned out it was the wrong address. It was the address for like some, some other thing Mm -hmm. that is related to the show, but not a receiving address. And in, in my body, I was just like, Oh no, this is the worst. I've spent a lot of money to come here. Like, not only that, my I have family that are here that are like, you know, watching me. And like I want to make, I want to show them that like this is my work, like this is my business. You know, you you do get this like imposter syndrome where you're like, like, I have to show them yeah. <laughs> that I'm, you know, legit and this is real. And I was so embarrassed and I spent like the show opened and I'm just here with like, not a lot of stock, like at all, just like leftovers from the previous show, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm just on the phone with Canada Post being like, where are my books? (laughs) And I was, I was mortified. And at show opening, especially actually at a show like Ottawa, there's a lot of people there. So people were coming to the table and I'm trying to be you know, on and, and graceful and, and sell what I have. But I was just like, oh no, like this is, this is awful. And I, and I said to my cousin there, like, I think maybe I should just shut this table down and like, we can just go back to your parents' place because like, there's no way like that. I'm even going to make any money at this show. Like I'm, I'm done. And she's just like, 
well, you came all this way. Like, I don't know if you should really like shut everything down. And I, I was just spiraling, but that night I, I sold almost everything that I had. I had a few books left, but I was just like, you know what? She's right. I came all this way. I need to figure out how to make this work for me. So I don't lose a lot of money. (laughs) And so, you know, when life gives you lemons, (laughs) make lemonade and you sell lemonade. So what I decided to do is I took orders at the table and that ended up working really well. Very smart. Yeah. Thank you. Because (laughs) uh, people told me, Like I explained to them, like, you know, I've sold everything that I have. I kept um, one copy of every book to show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I've sold everything that I have here and these are my books. And if you are interested in them, I'm taking orders. People like no further explanation required for people. They were just like, oh, that's great. Like, I don't want to carry around books anyway. And I said that I would, if they spent over $30, I would ship to them for free. And for most people, totally fine. Like that's like two books or whatever. So that, that, that ended up working really, really well. And so I just fulfilled those orders when I got back home and it, I didn't, I didn't lose money. So <laughs> I, I turned around the show yeah. and made it a, you know, I guess a success in a way. Yeah. No, I would say that's a success because, <laughs> and there's got to be something too about like the, well, I've sold out of everything. Maybe people are like, oh, I better get in on this and see what this is. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. And that, that happens even when I will run out of stock of a particular book. Mm-hmm. I've had I've had people come like like a woman come and 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 buy the last copy of the first book in a series when another person has hummed and hawed all right. weekend. And and so I do tell people like if if truly if I think something is going to sell out, I do I do use that line like, you know, it will sell um, out. Yeah, yeah if you want will. your copy today or whatever. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Good. that is a great idea of a great. Do you still take orders when you sell in person? Uh, if if I think that the stock is running low on something, I will offer an order option. Like like if I only brought a couple of books in, like book three right, of a series, yeah. something like that, I I will do that. Um, the other reason I would do that is if I'm doing like a pre order. Mm-hmm. For, for something. Uh, I've done that in the past because I have regulars now who come, mm-hmm. who would come to my table and be like, when's mm-hmm. the next book coming out? And so to capture that interest right. immediately, I will have like an order option, which mm-hmm. I think works. Yeah. Works pretty well. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about mindset? You've already talked a little bit about like COVID and all this that's gone on. Have you had, is that like the biggest mindset change you've had or have you had Um, other ones? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think that like a lot of the mindset changes I've had have been around, like, um, it's not all about me and trying to make people care about the work is, is really on me. I think like the other kind of change that I've had is, I think I went to the very opposite end 
of the spectrum of like, no one cares about my work. And so I kind of got into this and, and this is something that I still, I think, struggle with is I might not post updates on social or newsletter or anywhere else because I just get into this mindset of, well, no one cares about what I'm doing. So, uh, and I don't think I'm necessarily doing anything interesting, even though I'm like writing a book or doing YouTube yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I just make an assumption that nobody cares about it when that is just not true because you you don't know who's out there watching and just because people aren't commenting or liking your social posts does not mean that they are out there waiting for mm-hmm. your next book or waiting for right. some kind of update on what you're doing so i'm i'm trying i try to make more of an effort to like remember that mm-hmm. that there are people out there who do care about mm-hmm. what i do yeah. even if i think that it's you know this week i spent the week outlining and yeah. and like i might think that's nothing like cuz it's kind of normal mm-hmm. but to to a fan that might be interesting so yeah. maybe i should write about it so i'm trying i'm trying to be a little bit more open about my process no matter if i think it's quote unquote boring <laughs> yes well we tend to discount the things we're familiar with or the things that we do and we enjoy like um it's like, oh, I spent, you know, this, the other day I researched like sleeves on women's clothes, you know, for like my historical. And that's something that people who enjoy historicals would be interested in that, even though it seems like it's kind of like, yeah, it's just research, but you know, anything can be interesting if they're interested in the books and interested in you. So we tend to forget that though. So that's a really good point. Well, so let's dig into uh, selling in person a little bit more. So I have a couple of questions that have just come up as we've been talking. So tell us about, you said you sell it at craft shows. So tell what that is. And is that there's all kinds of things there, not just books, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there are different kinds of shows and at craft shows specifically, um, it's it's their their maker shows. So anybody who makes something, whether that's handmade or uh, they you know design and oversee the manufacturing, um, that would be at a craft shows. In in Canada, generally the shows that I do that are craft shows, the things have to be uh, made in Canada. Uh, to, to qualify or at least, you know, designed significantly, uh, in Canada. So you kind of have to prove that, Mm -hmm. uh, and that would be different for everybody. I've never had to prove it. I just had to say, you know, my books are printed in Canada. I'm in Canada. I'm Canadian author. And that's generally, uh, enough. Um, there aren't very many other people who sell books at these craft shows that I do, uh, I've seen like a couple here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly ju- like jewelry, people mm-hmm. making custom jewelry, clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are like two of the biggest categories, uh, like a handmade cards, like yeah. high end yeah. stu- Can- stuff, like candles, that. things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything that falls under the the make it grow it sort of 
umbrella would be at a craft show. And usually these shows, like I said, I, I call them high end because um, the booths are quite expensive. Um, the, the design and the look and the feel like you have to send pictures with your application with like, here's previous examples of my displays at other shows. And when I started doing these larger craft shows that in some ways it felt like I was starting all over again. Cause I was used to doing comic conventions where <laughs> your displays uh, like are very loud. And I mean, my display is pretty colorful and loud anyway, but like you have more space to work with usually at these craft shows and you, you have to show up even more elevated. Like mm-hmm. You can't just, you know, put stuff on a table and you have to have some form of flooring and it will be a good idea to have some lights and just there's more considerations when you're doing these higher end shows and they notice when you make an effort. And at least with the shows that I was doing, um, there's this one big company that does like 20 different shows across the country. And so like, if you can kind of prove that you're ready to play with the big boys, then they notice and they put you in more shows. Essentially. Okay. Yeah. So basically you have to apply and you oh, need, yes. you need like a, it's kind of staging. It sounds like like you need like decorations. Yeah, I don't know so, what you call it. Yeah. So it depends on, I mean, it depends on what you're selling, but for, for books, yeah, the process is um, you apply. So for Christmas shows, the uh, the early application deadline was just at the beginning of this month. So already at the beginning of the year, wow. you're thinking about Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I did, did, I did all those applications. Um, you do have to, you have to submit, uh, at least for these larger craft shows, uh, I wrote like a letter of a statement of craft where I talk about like, this is who I am. This is what I do. Uh, I, I had to send a resume this year, which was new. I'm just like, I've worked for myself for like 12 years. (laughs) I'm I'm the best employee ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I was just like, I know that they know who I am because I've exhibited with them before, but I, I did all this anyway. Uh, I wrote out all the shows that I've done. Um, I had to submit uh, high quality images of my product. So if I were doing jewelry, Mm -hmm. high quality image of a jewelry, but it's books. So I submitted a mix of like more professional pictures of my books mixed with some like kind of bookstagram type (laughs) content uh, so they can kind of choose what they want to use there. And um, then I had to take a picture of myself in my workspace, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just like, "Uh, computer. Um, and, and, but you, for, for newer, uh, exhibitors, you do have to submit like kind of a, a, how you plan to lay out your booth. And so I just submitted previous pictures of my display, but yes. So for these higher end shows, you have, uh, at least, well, there's different size of space, but generally I go for like a 10 by 10, Mm -hmm. uh, feet, uh, Mm -hmm. space, so um, you have to bring your own tables to these larger shows, or you can rent them at, at the place. Um, 
I, I have a lot of tips on like how to, how to display books. I don't Uh know if you want to hear about those now, but, uh, I, I have some shelving units Uh and I've sort of experimented with different ways to do that, but essentially they're, they're like wooden boxes that Uh are artfully arranged and everything is sort of like a bookshelf. Uh, So it's, so they're not just laying on the table. Oh my goodness. You do not want to do that. (laughs) I want to stress. (laughs) So yeah, let me stress that here. Um, To me, laying books flat, if all of your books are laid flat on a table, to me personally, me personally, that looks like a yard sale. And I, that is not the message that I want to put out into the world. So I will have a couple of books that are laid flat. Those are for people who want to read through them, touch them. That's Mm -hmm. fine. But otherwise books are stacked uh, on shelves, like the ones that are behind us on our bookshelves, (laughs) or they are stacked like um, flat on a table, uh, like on like top one, of each other. Laying so flat, that, you can see the spines and everything. So that you can yeah. see the spine. And then they will, I might have one on top that is uh, perched upright, just mm-hmm. like this as a display. Right. Um, because you do not want to have all, to, to me personally, that just signals yard sale. Uh, that, that might not be the case for everybody. And I understand, but I don't want to look cheap. Well, and if you're if you're in an area with these other elaborate booths, then you kind of want to blend in. You don't want people to come by and go, "Oh, these are obviously not as expensive as some other things here." Yeah, you know, nice. yeah, yeah. And I, I basically want to look as much like a bookstore mm-hmm. as possible. So that's sort of where I take my cues. You know, for better or worse, people do come into the booth and they're like, "Did you write all these books?" And I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, oh, I thought it was a bookstore. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> that is sort of the vibe that I'm going yeah. for here because I, I want to exude like these books are for sale. Yeah. They're professional, yeah. but I did write them. All. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so, so let's see, that brought up a couple of questions that I've thought of. So um, about stock, like how much do you bring? Because, yeah. and how, and do you like, if you, do you bring you have multiple series. So do you bring all your series? Do you bring, how do you, how do you figure all that out? Yeah. So that's the golden question. Um, (laughs) and I, it depends on the show and I keep track in my spreadsheet, like, okay, I sold this much last year, so I should bring at least that plus like, you know, 20 to 30% more because you don't want to walk like, picture this walking into a bookstore and the shelves are empty. Like that looks like you don't, you don't want that. So you have to bring at least the amount that you believe you're going to sell plus enough for like stocking purposes to make it look like, you know, you're a store because you are a store (laughs) for those three days. You're a store. I, and I had like, I would have people I would have a busy period. You have busy periods during the day. And usually that's from like 1030 to two o'clock would be like your first busy period. So during that time, I don't have a lot of time to restock things, which I do like to do between customers as much as possible. So I was like really busy selling. 
And then I finished my restocking. It was towards the end of the busy period. And I had, I had, I engaged a man to come into the booth because it looked like he was interested and he kind of looks around and he's like, you're not selling very much, are you? And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I take great pains to make my booth look like fully stocked because I know the feeling that the readers get when they come into a bookstore or to a place of books and they want to be surrounded by that. Like they don't want to see those bare shelves. So yeah. yeah. So (laughs) So yeah. It's a catch 22, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. But you, you should always bring much more than you think, but weigh that against, you know, how you're traveling. Cause that's the other factor as well. If assuming that you are, you know, traveling to the show and like I, for my local shows, I have the ability to bring basically as much as I want. I can restock no problem. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going away to a show, I have to measure against like, you know, how much am I going to ship in advance? Mm -hmm. And uh, like, how much can I fit in my suitcase? And like, how heavy is this going to be? And is it going to really be worth it? Um, And I've started kind of leaving in in shows that I know that I'm going to return the next year. And if I have a friend, I will leave stock Mm -hmm. there. And so then I can just draw from that. But yeah, you will begin to have a sense of how much to bring. But the short answer is if it's your first time, bring as much as possible and bring as much as possible from everything that you have. Mm -hmm. And you might end up selling, you'll get a feel depending on the show, like what series you're going to sell more of or less of. And if you have a new book in one series, then bring a little bit more of that series because maybe that's a series that you're going to be pushing a, a little bit more. So yeah, that's a long answer for it depends and bring yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. And I mean, I think it's one of those things that you would just have to get, you'd have to learn as you go, right? What you yeah. need and what's what people are drawn to at that certain show. So, yeah. 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 Well, so talk to us a little bit about like selling. Like, I think that's something that, you know, most authors are introverts. We hate the idea of selling. I've done plenty of book signings where, you know, like you, it is like a performance. I feel like, like you've talked about that, how like you have to kind of get into this thing where you're willing to engage with people and you want to. So tell us your tips on how to engage with people and draw them in and interest them in your books. Yeah, for sure. So selling is the byproduct of making somebody comfortable Mm -hmm. in your space. Um, And how people reach that level of comfort is going to be different depending on their personality or the the kind of person that they are. And you'll learn very quickly, um, I mean, depending on the person, uh, how to kind of read body language and cues. There are certain things that I look for. So what I will do is, so I will engage people. I I don't just sit there or stand there watching people go by. Like I will say, if you even 
kind of look at my booth, or if you are a person who like, I think you're my target audience, or I think you're in the audience who is like a parent of my target audience, (laughs) I'm going, I'm going to engage you. Now I might be wrong about like whether they're interested or not, but I'm still going to do it because more often than not, I'm right. So I'm going to take that gamble. So how, what I do is, is just, I say, hello, how are you? I'm just very friendly. And I put that out into the world. Now, how they react to that will tell me what I do next. So if they are equally as exuberant, um, if they're stopping, if they're looking at my books and I'm like, Oh, look at this. And if they're openly interested, then that's, you know, that's a good sign. They're probably a little more extroverted. And sometimes those people, they will just ask questions of you. And so that's, that's easy. You just answer the questions and direct them towards whatever book you think that, they need or want mm-hmm. and sell it that way. But people who aren't showing as open of an interest, but you still think they might be interested and how you tell is like, they've stopped, they're looking, but they might be confused about what's on offer. They might just be overwhelmed because especially at like comic conventions, it's noisy there's a lot of visual noise happening. Mm. And like, I have people who will look at my space and I know it's weird to say, but it's, but it's like, they don't even know that there are books Mm -hmm. there. They might just see the word fairy, which, and my press name is fairy ink press F A E R Y. And so people see fairy and they're like, Oh, like new age tarot cards. (laughs) Like they, they go that direction. They don't even recognize that there are books on the table. So you kind of have to learn to, I mean, it's kind of funny, but you, you do learn to sort of forgive and be like, no, these are books and just sort of remind people, but for the more introverted crowd who you think that they might be interested, but it's just, they're not engaging because they're not comfortable with that kind of interaction. You have to go down, you have to go to their level. Mm -hmm. And so if they don't really reply to me, but they still seem interested in the books, all I will say to them is, you know, this is my science fiction series over here. And this is my fantasy series over here. And maybe if depending on the booth configuration, I might hand them a book. And that's really important to, to that they touch the work and have it in their hands because if they touch it, they're more likely to buy it. Um, so if they accept that, that's fine. Um, if But if they're very, very quiet, then I'll just sort of indicate mm-hmm. and I will leave them alone. And you, you will learn to be comfortable with silence. And I know that's hard for some people to be comfortable with silence, but it's best. And it's hard too, when you're in such a tiny cramped space and there is another person like right here, like looking at your stuff, it can be really hard to quote unquote, ignore them. So, but you do have to sort of switch off of them and leave them alone, let them make their own decisions because I have had this happen where people, an introverted person, a quiet person will come in. You know, I give, I just be like, 
fantasy there and they go to the fantasy <laughs> and and they stay there for like five minutes, 10 minutes. I don't know how long it, it is. I have one person who was like right in front of me at a table and my cousin and I were just like standing there, like you kind of, and it's just like staring at them, but you're trying not to like look at them, trying not to engage them. And he was there for like a really long time. And I'm just like to her, like, don't say anything, don't say anything, just quiet. And he looks at me and he's like, I'll take all of the books. I knew you were going to say that. I was yeah. like, because <laughs> I'm an introverted shopper. So it's like, I want to be left alone and I'll make my decision. And, you know, I'm a book lover. So I'm probably going to get a lot of books, you know? Yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But what do you do? Like, so I've done signings where it's like, you have people who are interested in writing and mm. publishing, and they're not really interested in buying your book, but there are other people there who are actually book shoppers. And the people who are interested in asking you questions can take up a ton of your time. So how do you handle that? Yeah. So I've been pretty fortunate that these people get that like you're busy and you they don't have you don't have time to answer their questions. So they will usually come back. Okay. And and when I'm less busy, and I'm very happy and excited to answer any questions. And I like doing that during the downtime because having somebody at the booth is a plus because if one person is at the booth, that's going to attract more introverts to come. Like that's just a bonus. So I don't know if I've ever had, I think maybe I've had to tell one person, but I think they also kind of got it. Like people are generally pretty good at being like, I'll just come back later and, and you can answer my questions. And I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. But I think it just becomes very obvious that like I'm selling, people are buying, people are giving me money. Like I don't have time for you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so speaking of that, that's another question is about the, the like checkout, like you're, you're handling the payments, right? So how how do you do that? Do you do credit card stuff? How do you do it? I do it all. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was an evolution as well. Um, so at the very, very beginning, I only did cash. I actually had a, a mug on my first show <laughs> where I put money in the mug and I was yeah. just like, okay, well, I need a cash box. Um, <laughs> so, so at first it was just cash. Then um, I don't know what all technology you have down there because I know payment processing is different in the States. And uh, mm-hmm. if I may say so, slightly behind um like are, did you only just get tap i know that when yeah, i was it's been yeah. a while but not not that long so yeah yeah so um tap is very common up here um so so there are there are different companies that offer like credit card processing like square mm-hmm. i don't know yeah, yeah. You, you probably have that and square has evolved over the years it used to be just this tiny little literal white square that you plug into your phone and yeah. it swipes. So that was like the first thing that I got. Um, but debit cards, very common up here. So eventually um, what I ended up getting for a long time was I actually went direct to a major like credit card processing company and they had sort of a low, the lowest tier mm-hmm. of credit card processor that you pay a monthly fee and you get the machine mm-hmm. and um, that processes yeah. the payments. The reason I did that and I didn't go fully with Square, which most artists 
do use, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have the ability to take debit at the time. Oh. And that's like, that's a big deal, right? That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. So uh, I did it. And the, at these higher end craft shows, I have a lot of like grandmothers and older folks who like, they don't have, I don't want to explain to them, oh, I only take this credit card. Cause again, before Square would only do certain credit cards and maybe not American Express, like there's just like a whole minefield. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. I want to take all the cards and that's that. So for a while I was using my little tiny, it looked like an old calculator, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it was very durable. It was great. It literally took every single card. I never had to decline anybody. Um, But now uh, because of the pandemic, I stopped doing that and I bought myself. Square has finally evolved (laughs) and they have more advanced machines now. So I bought, I think it was like a $300 a machine that takes debit and credit and just everything. And it's just an account square takes a, there's a processing fee and there's like a very small, I think there's like a credit card fee. Um, There are little fees, but you know, it's basically, it's very, very small. And, uh, and yeah, that's what I use to take payments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what would you say to somebody who who is debating this? Like, is it worth it to sell? Basically, you're selling direct in person, right? You're just, is it worth it to take the time to, to go to the shows and order your stock and all that? Obviously, it's worked well for you, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it really, it's tough. It depends on your situation too. And like the cost of your stock and and getting all of that together. Is your show local? Do you have to travel for it? You have to consider all of your expenses before you even attempt this. I do think that you should try it at least once so that you get a sense of what it's going to be like, because, you know, yes, consider your expenses, but also consider that this is probably at least three days Mm -hmm. of your life that, and, and, and the toll that it's going to take on your mind and your body. Like, are you willing to stand there and have people openly judge your work? Um, And, and to be fair, most people are very polite. Um, You know, I've had some, some mean and bad interactions, but mostly people are very kind and mostly people are going to be very, like very interested. And like we were saying, like the, the baseline, like for us, writing a book is normal, but to the rest of the world, writing a book is like a dream. That people like you're have. a fascinating creature. They're like, tell us how you did this. <laughs> yes. Yes. So are you willing to withstand the good and the bad of really physically putting yourself out there with no, there's no divider. Like there's nothing between you and the audience. And for me, like that interaction where somebody gives me money and mm-hmm. I give them the book, like that's like a high almost like I I don't do drugs. I don't know anything about (laughs) drugs, but that's what I imagine. Like it's kind of addictive. You get that rush of like, I made something and somebody else bought it and they, and they're probably going to like it. And then of course the next year them coming back and telling you, I did like it. It's just like compounds. And so that's, if you're that kind of person that, you know, you want that 
direct validation mm-hmm. and that works for you, then I, I do suggest trying this, you know, a couple of times to see if that's going to yeah. fit into your life. And it does sort of become a bit of a lifestyle. Like I was doing, you know, the many, many shows in a year and I would plan my year around these shows um, so much to the point where I got very burnt out of okay. it. But like in the pandemic, I ended up missing that direct validation. And I was talking to my best friend about it and how like I was feeling, you know, coming towards Christmas time when I would be traveling quite a lot for these shows. I was like, I feel like, like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I feel really sad about all of my work. And she's like, you're, you're used to people telling you like, that they like this work and yeah. that it's helped them or whatever, you're you're missing that direct validation, yeah. that cycle that helps you continue. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it seems like it would be direct feedback. Yes. That you, that like we, most of the time, we don't get that. Like you're saying about like the color associations and the things that you would learn a lot about the people who actually buy your books by interacting face-to-face. That a lot of interactions that we don't get if we just sell online. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Well, what, um, like if somebody's interested in this, give us like maybe two or three things that would be good first steps for looking into this. Yeah. So the first step is look at all the local shows in mm-hmm. your area, or like if you kind of live around a couple of major cities, look at like the major cities, what, you know, if you're selling sci-fi or whatever, like what your local comic cons are. Um, just local specialty shows that you think your books might be a fit for. So I've done a couple like anime shows, which are sort of akin to comic cons. Um, And I think, I think they kind of work. So anything that you think your books would be good for Christmas markets. Um, I've even tried farmer's markets Mm -hmm. uh, for good or or better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anything that you think, might be suitable to sell books at, uh, that would be like a first step to just kind of write all of those shows down and pick one that you think would be, you know, that best fits your budget or that you can easily get to, or isn't too big of a slog to do, Mm -hmm. you know, choose, choose that one to start. Um, the second thing I would suggest is start thinking about how you would want to display your your books. So a couple of items that I would suggest that you buy are a nice tablecloth. Um, a lot of like comic cons do give you an actual table and miss some of them will skirt the table in some way, but you probably want to bring your own nicer <laughs> tablecloth that's maybe branded or just at least a nicer color that would fit. Right. A lot of these places have like an ugly blue or just something that doesn't quite fit what maybe your books are. Right. Um, and, and appropriate signage. Uh, I would suggest designing something on the computer and printing it off and putting it in a plastic holder that you can display. Mm-hmm. You can never have enough signage because again, people like they don't, they're not going to know what it is 
that you're selling. So make it really, really obvious. I have like books at least seven times <laughs> around and like young adults. And even, and even though you have those things, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to make that connection right. in the brain, but do, do have them there. Um, you might want to invest, uh, if you're, if you are a little bit more serious about it, you might want to invest in, a an upright banner. I think mm-hmm. those are about $120, uh, probably cheaper in US dollars. But uh, if you are like a little bit serious about showing up in a little slightly more elevated way, uh, a banner is a, is a good idea. One that stands up on its own. You don't have mm-hmm. to attach to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that I would suggest for a display. And then a third thing, other than having, you know, appropriate technology to capture as many payments as you possibly can, um, showing up with the right attitude <laughs> is is important. Like I trying not to be too defeatist about yourself, and like tr- at least at least show up with the feeling like I am going to sell something today, and there are going to be people here that will like my books, or I'm going to have a conversation today that's going to change the way people look at me, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to have, I'm going to have a nice conversation with somebody about my books. Always go with the goal of like having conversations and less about having particular sales goals. Cause if you have uh, meaningful conversations with people that will lead to sales. Yeah. 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 And you may open people's minds that they can read their grandkids can read certain books that maybe they didn't think they could read, even though they had a full cover or whatever. (laughs) That's right. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for all of that. That has been excellent. So um, we always like to ask, what is the best thing that you think you've done to set yourself up for success? It's a big question. The best thing that I have done. Oh, yes. So for my, uh, for selling in person specifically, one thing that I have done is I started writing these, what I was calling post-mortems mm-hmm. or uh, blog posts mm-hmm. about my experiences selling books. And it just kind of started as like, here are all the things I learned by selling at this one show. Um, but it became a kind of tradition for me to write a blog post after every show that I ever oh. did. And I think that... I mean, people did start reading them and uh, people in the community appreciated my insights. But besides that, the actual act of reflecting on everything that happened to you, all of the experiences, the things that went right, the things that went wrong, it became a kind of like, oh, I need to get a better banner next time because my banner (laughs) fell on somebody and that's not good. (laughs) Or just like you learn by reflecting on everything that's happened. And that allowed me to grow. Yeah. And that just, just that I think really, really did help me quite a lot. And it also established me as somebody who's serious Mm -hmm. about doing shows and people notice when you show up better than before. And so that also became my goal, Mm -hmm. uh, showing up better, a little bit better than the previous year or a little bit better at each show so that I could just continue to reach more and more people. And don't just think that when you show up to a show, the same show three times, that 
I mean, the same people will notice, but you will also get new people every time because there's always new people going to the shows. There are people that might not find you at a Mm -hmm. show because the show is so large. You're always going to find new people and have new experiences and get new insights every time you do it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that is fantastic. All right. And I think that's really true. A lot of times we need to slow down and reflect and that just taking a little time is very, very good thing to do. So, all right. Well, where can people find out more about you and your books? Sure. So my website is fairyinkpress.com, F-A-E-R-Y-I-N-K-P-R-E-S-S.com. That's where I sell my books direct on my website and you can check out my postmortem blogs. They are all there as well. You can go back and look at pictures to when I just started doing shows when I had not as nice a display and you can see my evolution and see how I grow and uh, uh, learn from that. And uh, yeah, go do that. All right. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. And we'll have all the links at wishidknownthenpodcast.com. And thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast. And thanks to Adriel Wiggins for doing the admin. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.